There you go. Good to have you all here. So was, uh, were you thankful this week or did you just eat too much? Or both? <laughs> thankful. <clears throat> all right. Okay, well, let's uh, get started here. got some hymns that I think you all will know and we'll follow it up with uh, a little bit more of a contemporary song. So we'll have something for everybody this morning. Where'd your dad go? And your brother. Goodness, they're all gone. Ah. Has he been faithful to you this week? We sing these songs, and, and I would assume all of us here know this song, but do we really know what it means, or, or do we, uh, is it a reality in our life? And is that why you were thankful this week? He is faithful. So think about that as we uh, sing this song, and then I'd like to hear some testimonies of how God was faithful to you this week or just uh, in anything you've uh, experienced. I want to hear some testimonies of the faithfulness of God. What happened? That's a weird one. Hmm. That's a new one. That's a little better. Oh! 
been faithful to you. Oh, come on. He did a better job than that. Oh, it's because you were out when I told everybody before the song. (laughs) Well, his goodness never fails. I think we tend to take that for granted a lot of times, don't we? <clears throat> oh, no reason to wait if you got a testimony. Let's hear it. about God's faithfulness. A few weeks, now a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife had an opportunity. She went and got a haircut. And when she came home, she talked about this lady that was sitting out on a cold sidewalk up here on Safeway, just a little bit west of us. And everything she owned, she had in this cart. Hmm. And about a month ago, my daughter made up some gift boxes. And inside these gift boxes were some plastic baggies. And inside these plastic baggies were toothpaste and soap, maybe even a pair of socks. And for about three weeks, (laughs) as we drive around the city, we're going, I told my wife, I said, well, it's weird. We haven't had a chance to give any of this away. So she goes to the car and gets out a package, and she gives it to her. And she came home. <laughs> and that night we went to bed, and the next morning she woke up and she said, I can't get this lady's out of my mind. And I said, well, we're not supposed to get the poor and the needy out of our mind. Mm-hmm. Aren't we supposed to remember them? Now, I've, we've lived in this city for 43 years, and one thing that we always have is the poor and the needy. So that Monday we went and did something. We said, let's go to the bank and get out a little bit of cash. We did and drove by. She's still there. So we gave it to her. 
And these three by five cards I have in my hand, I've had them for over 30 years. And it's by reading these three by five cards over and over that the Holy Spirit continues to remind me never forget the poor, never forget the needy. And they're in the book of Proverbs. And then numerically. Brother Phil, can you read a left-hander's writing? Mm -hmm. I think so. Proverbs 19. Like this, I'm farsighted. Proverbs 19, 17. (laughs) (laughs) Where are you comfortable? There. He who is kind to the poor. Hmm. Lends to the Lord. Wow. Did you hear that? Do you want to give something to Jesus? Give something to the poor. And then it says, for he, meaning the Lord, will reward him for what he has done. Amen? And then Proverbs 22, 9. Brother Phil, you read it, please. Well, generous man, a generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Generous man means... Generous fellowship. Generous fellowship. So if we're generous in our fellowship of giving to the poor, we're going to be blessed. Mm -hmm. Then the next one, Brother Phil, Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Um, Speak speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights rights of of all who are destitute. destitute. Speak up. Speak up and judge fairly. fairly. Defend. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Don't the poor and the needy need to be defended? Babies that are in the wombs of their mothers, don't they need to be defended? And the Bible says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of all who are poor and needy. And I was just reminded of this lady and about how... We're going to have the poor around us all the time, right? Mm. What an opportunity. If you see someone in need and you have something to give them like we did with this little bag, go ahead and do it because you know when you really do it and you do it with the love of the Lord, you're going to be blessed. Mm. Thank you, Brother Phil. One of the missions. Yeah, thank you, Brother. One of the missions that prophecies in Isaiah 61 that spoke of Jesus said, and he preached the gospel to the poor. And that's what Jesus said in Luke 4. He quoted that. He said, my mission, I am here today to preach the gospel to the poor. Let's not just give material food, but the gospel is what they really need. But Apostle Paul, you know, one of the four things that the church, when they send out Apostle Paul and Barnabas out to the Gentile churches, one of those four commands that they gave the Gentile Christians and the commission they gave him was, Remember the poor. And Apostle Paul said, we were careful to do that. Good word, brother. Thank you, brother, for sharing that. That goes right in with talking about God's faithfulness. You are in that act or in that lifestyle of of giving, demonstrating God's faithfulness. And so often we look at those promises of of God, of being faithful and and all these different things. And we expect that 
well, this is something that God is going to do for us, and he does, but it's also something he wants to do through us. And that was a good demonstration of that. Thank you, brother. Near to the heart of God. Is that where you want to be this morning?
Savior that he is. Are you ready to get out and declare that? Or are you going to keep it to yourself? Let's declare the word of the Lord. This song shifts gears a little bit stylistically to what we've sang so far. So everybody stand up and get excited. And if you can, you don't have to stand up if, uh, if it's a difficulty. But otherwise, stand up and declare the word of the Lord. These are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Yeah. 
children, you can come forward. I think Maggie has a lesson for you. I'm not sure that we have any music planned unless Carrie was feeling inspired. So uh, come on and sit down on the front row or wherever Maggie would like you to sit. While you're doing that, I'll have a few announcements here. Uh, if you have your bulletins, uh, there's the men's Bible study, book study, this uh, Wednesday evening at 6.30 at the Lap Home. Contact Phil if you're interested in that. It looks like we're getting back into having our game nights. I'm not sure yet if they're going to be a regular thing or not, but apparently we're having one this uh, Friday evening that the Schroeders will be hosting here at the church, Friday evening, 6.30. Come bring your neighbors, friends, and food. Um, we have a meal planned as normal after the service, so please feel free to stay for that. I think that concludes the announcements. And Maggie? I'm not sure I can hold the microphone. Do you want to stand or you just want to? All right, thank you for the children's lesson. And uh, something else I thought I had to announce while I was waiting for Phil to come up, but it skipped my mind. Um, speaking of coffee, there is coffee and tea and water back in the entryway there, so help yourselves out with that. We do have quite a few people uh, traveling and some that are sick. This is uh, the time of year for both, it seems, so uh, let's keep those in your prayers, those that are not here. That woke you up, didn't it? That wake you up, Kent? <laughs> He's not listening. All right. Phil's going to share the word with us. Uh, before he does that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time we've had here together to share your, uh, in this time of uh, fellowship and to hear the sharing of your word. And I pray that you would speak to us now through your word, that your word would be real and alive and do a powerful work in each one of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. been a few weeks since Brother Kent has been with us. Let's give him a hand of welcome back. Good to see you, brother. Also, um, let's just take a moment to pray for those who are sick. There are quite a few who are really struggling with sickness. And James 5 tells us what our duty is to do for the sick. Can someone tell me what that is? Is anyone sick? Let him pray and ask the Lord. The Lord, after all, is a physician. He's a doctor. That's who our Jesus is. And what he did in his ministry was he came with healing, not only for the physical body, for the spirit, for the spirits of men who were oppressed. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and I call upon your name, Lord, for those who are sick, Lord, that who are struggling with physical sickness, and also, Lord, those who are struggling with spiritual sickness and, and the disease of sin, Lord, in their hearts or the effects of it. Father, we lift up our, our lives before you and we pray that you would come as the great physician and walk in our midst and touch us. 
with your divine healing power. And strengthen our inner man that though our outer body is struggling perhaps with, with just viruses and sickness, that our inner man would be renewed day by day. And Lord, I also want to pray for Ron and Linda. I just want to thank you, Lord, for bringing them here today and, and for leading them through the surgery that Linda has had. And Father, we just pray that you would touch her and you would continue to strengthen her body and, and recover their, their uh, weak, Lord, the weakness of the recovery of the surgery, that you would touch it and strengthen them. But most of all, encourage them in their faith and their love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I also think we ought to give you guys a hand of welcome. It's been, what, three months or so since you've had surgery? Was it two months? And uh, so they've been kind of cooped up and just recovering. Let's give them a hand of welcome. It's good to have you here. You can turn your Bibles with me for a word from the Lord this morning in continuation with how he's speaking to us already to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I've titled this, not this sermon, but this passage of scripture for me has taken on a personal title, the goal of my life. If this is not your goal, then my prayer is today, the Lord will change your goals. And this will become the one goal. You know what you do when you have a goal? What do you do for it? When someone has an Olympic gold medal as the goal of their life, what do they do with their time? What do they do with their energy? What do they do with their focus of life? It's all about training for that one goal. They give their whole life to it for that one race or whatever that thing is that they're striving for. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. I love the way that Paul speaks and begins this, this kind of final word, this all-consuming portrait. This is the final picture. This is it. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again to you is no trouble to me. And it is a safeguard for you. Beware of dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are, remember the sermon I preached last Sunday? God is, so I am. That's our identity. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I far more. Why? Because he was an Olympic gold medalist when it came to religion. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness 
which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me from that, the flesh, those things I have counted as loss. Wow, what a transition. The gain of his flesh, he counted it not only as a zero, he counted it as a minus zero. Complete loss. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, not only is it counted as a loss, that's where it begins. You and I must count all things of my flesh, of my self-confidence as a loss. Everything I am, according to the flesh, is a loss when it comes to the kingdom of God. Once Christ transfers us from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of His dear Son, everything in this kingdom of this world is a loss to us. Have you counted that cost? If you have, there's one more step to go. Actually, two more. The next step is you must not only count it as loss. Paul went more than that. I count all things to be loss. So not only the gain of this world did he count as loss. He looked at his whole life and he said, write it off. Write it off as a loss. You ever written something expense off as a loss in your taxes? You didn't pay taxes anymore on that, did you? It was a loss. I count all things to be loss. In this view, the view of the surpassing value, so he's comparing the value of this earthly world, the things that he gained through sheer determination and self-sacrifice and talent and skill and effort, being the best of the best. He counted that as loss, but then he began to look at his whole life. And he said, it's all a loss for this value. Have you seen this value? If you count your whole life as loss, without looking at this value and for the sake of this value, you'll commit suicide. That's the end of it. That's how people get to suicide. They look at their whole life as a loss and they say, not only am I worth nothing, this life is worth nothing to me. So what should I do? That's better. And living. If you count everything as loss in your life without exchanging it for this value, you are suicidal. And the devil loves it. That's the end of his road of where he wants to take all of us. And there's a fine line between the two. It's what you're looking at. Your perspective. Are you looking at yourself 
or the value of knowing Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. How did he get to know him? As my Lord. My Lord. For whom? Now, here's number three. He counts his gain as loss, his whole life as a loss. Then he looks at this value of the gain. What does he gain from this loss? To know Jesus Christ in what kind of way? What does Jesus become to him? Lord. Lord. That's the exchange value. Jesus, my Lord. Interestingly, he doesn't say my Savior. He says my Lord. That exchange, dear brother, sister, friend, is eternal life. Instead of suicide, it's eternal life. And so now he says, this is where that exchange leads me. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Now it's not just calculated loss. It's experienced. He loses everything. Have you actually, it's one thing to calculate something as a loss in your life. It's one thing for me to say, yeah, my house is not my own. It's a gift from the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the gift. But when the Lord takes that, what I've counted as his, away from me, and I suffer the loss My house burns down to the ground. There's no more house. That's having suffered the loss. Is that a gain to me? Is that your gain? The suffering of the loss of this exchange value. Paul says, I have counted that. I've suffered it. And that's, that's my gain. Not only the calculation, but the actual suffering is my gain. And he says, I count them, all of this loss, I count it as a rubbish. means nothing. The loss that I now have calculated and have suffered is really nothing to me. It does nothing to me. As we looked last Sunday, the love that Christ has for us, If I receive that love, it creates an identity of Jesus in me. But without that, I can give my body to be burned and not have love, and it profits me zero. I can, at the last minute, try to save my life, my wife's life. If perhaps our house is burning down, and I run in there to save her, And she's saved and I burn. Would you not all say, wow, look how he loved his wife. He gave his life for her. Would any one of you believe or accredit to me that act not being a love act? What if you heard the next week? What if my boys said, wow, 
You know, my dad had a big fight with mom. He yelled at her. He beat her. And then when the house started on fire, he ran in and saved her. I wonder if he really loved her. No, I didn't love her. I can give my body to be burned and not have love. Because, see, love is character. God is love. And when I love, receive that love, it forms a character which speaks and acts. And that love speaks. It is kind. It is, 1 Corinthians 13, I'm quoting, it is patient. It takes no account of wrongs suffered. It is, it is, it is. Over and over again, when the Holy Spirit describes what love is, it is a character which speaks and acts. And when that's missing, you can do the final act of exchanging your earthly life for something. Many people do. The Muslims do it all the time for Allah. Do they love? No. They do it filled with hatred for those rebels who are not Muslims. They do it filled with hatred. They'll lay down their life. Whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, what we're talking about is gaining Christ in me, the hope of glory, gaining his character, his perspective, his, his worldview of me and of others. And now living his life out in me. That I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. No more self-effort. No more self-help. That's not where my righteousness comes from anymore. My righteousness has only one source. Him. He is the source of my righteousness. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know Him. How do I get to know Him? The power of his resurrection. That's how I get to know him. If you get to know Christ without the power of his resurrection, you don't know this Jesus. You don't know the resurrected Jesus. But you see, something has to happen to, for us to experience the power of his resurrection. Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8 must happen in my life. I must be dead with, cruc with Christ, crucified with Christ, and raised with Him. The power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings. Paul does something very interesting, or the Holy Spirit does. You see, he's speaking of a goal. And then he kind of backtracks and says, this is how I get there. The power of His resurrection is my goal, but I get there through the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed 
to his death. We all want to get there. We want to get to heaven. And when we see him be changed in a moment to be like him without being conformed to his death and know the fellowship of his sufferings. That's human. That's not spiritual. And if you're seeking Christ this way, you're just like a Muslim. Your faith is no better than in a dead God and in a dead religion. It's not in a living Christ who was raised from the dead because he suffered on the cross. And then he says to us, you want to be my disciple? Take up your cross daily and follow me. In order, Paul says, that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Is that your goal? That is my one goal because of this truth. Turn your Bibles with me to Revelation. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But not everybody came to life. The rest of the dead. Did not come to life. Until the thousand years. Were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed. Blessed. And holy. Consecrated is the word. Blessed and consecrated is the one who has a part of the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. You will never die again. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Is that the goal of your life? The first Resurrection, that's the goal of my life. And this is the only way to experience it. There's no other way. They did not love their lives unto death. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. In order that I may attain, this is the end goal, the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it. It's not something you can buy or achieve or have already become perfect. But I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. The first is Christ lays his hand on me and he says, Come, follow me. And the second is I say, Who are you, Lord? 
I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Come, follow me. And I repent for my old ways. I just get up and follow him. You see the radical change that happened in Paul's transformation there? That's what he's speaking of. Not that I had already obtained it, that was loss, or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I haven't got it all. I'm not complete. He's still working on me. You're seeing an incomplete person, an imperfect person, but someone who Christ has laid his hand on and has given a goal for his life, being transformed daily into his image and fulfilling his purpose, his kingdom purpose in this world, in this life. I haven't laid hold of it yet, but this one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind. Reaching forward to what lies before. That's forward Christianity. There is a dangerous philosophical view of theology in Christianity that tells us the only way we will be delivered from our past is if we allow someone to take us back into the past And we write it all down and we take this backward journey all the way back to where we can first remember things. And we relive everything. We rethink it. We write it down. We speak it. We confront people who've maybe abused us there, who've, who've, you know, whom we have suffered loss from, who've, we relive the whole thing. And that's the way to victory. It is false. It will never give you victory in Jesus. Going back into my flesh and retracing it does not lead me to victory in Jesus Christ. Nor does it give me forgiveness for others. It is not the power of the resurrection. Nowhere in scripture is this instruction given to us. It is anti-scripture. The opposite is told to us. Forget those things, whether your failures, your gain, others' failures, others' gain in your life, forget it all. This one thing you should do, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and lay all that as rubbish and as loss, and reach forward to the things which are before. That will lead you to the fellowship of his suffering. Being conformed to the death of Jesus in your life. And ultimately will give you the power of the resurrection in your physical body. That's what Romans 8 tells us. If you take a journey to Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. Or one translation says, God forbid it. 
How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. That's the way to victory. And then later he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I have already been resurrected in newness of life to Him because my old man has died. And I die daily, putting to death my flesh, taking up my cross, and as a disciple of Him, walking with Him, crucifying, putting to death the members of my flesh, which are immorality, and all the lists that He puts there, the covetousness, the desires of the flesh, are put to death daily through the cross of Jesus. And... Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And if Christ is in you, chapter 8, verse 10, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, this is a promise, will also give life to your mortal body. Through his spirit who indwells in you. I, verse 14, chapter 3, press on toward the goal. Or the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have, and that word perfect again is being made perfect, have this attitude. This is our attitude. This is how we think. This is how we look at life. It's through the paradigm of which the glasses we see life through and we see people through. This attitude towards others, toward myself. Let us, therefore, as many as are being made perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal this to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in my 
following and following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ you know there are many who say they love Christ but they are the enemy of his cross are you I found that in my own life unless I make this my goal and I obey the words of Jesus I can become the enemy of his cross in my life and I can try to thwart stand between God and his work in me find myself fighting against Christ in my life just like Apostle Paul did he was zealous for good works he believed he was doing God a favor by persecuting the church but he was the enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ and if you find yourself the enemy of Christ's cross in your life or in others there's one way that you can be delivered from that you can come to the Lord and say like Apostle Paul did Lord I will allow you to put me to death to give me a cross and I will take it and say not my will but thy will be done just like you did did you ever think about this truth Jesus did not get to choose his cross he clearly said so it was not his choice in the garden the whole struggle was Lord father please if there's any way take it away from me but nevertheless not my will but thine thy will in my life was the cross of Jesus it wasn't a physical wooden cross that he was groaning over no there are many people who have died on the cross criminals even with Jesus who could take that death the Romans crucified hundreds and thousands of people for murder for insurrection for all kinds of things in their day it was capital punishment and many suffered it that's not what Jesus was weeping about that wasn't his cross that his father gave him the cross his father gave him was his father's will instead of his that was the cross that's still our cross my father's will or mine and when I take up my father's will instead of mine that's me taking up the cross of Jesus and only the father gets to choose that we never get to choose our cross or what it looks like practically only the father does and we only find that cross and experience the conformity of that death and the power of his resurrection in taking up that cross through obedience to his personal will for my life and when we do that the glory of the resurrection power fills my mortal body the power of Christ is not from me but from him every day you and I can get to live this way they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction they're gonna miss 
the first resurrection. Who is God? Is their appetite. That's one. How interesting that the Holy Spirit says that's a God that you must die to. Every Christian taking up his cross daily to follow Christ must deal with your appetite. If you don't, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's not only talking about just food. He's talking about the appetites of this body, of the flesh, the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Like Ephesians 2 says, you were by nature children of wrath because you lived, you gave yourself, you followed the desires of your flesh. That is the first cross every Christian must take up to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you don't, it will be your God. You will obey it in its lust thereof. It will control you and you will not control it. In every area. If the cross does not. Yes. Choose your food. If the cross does not. Choose your enjoyment. If the cross of Jesus does not touch. Every area of the appetites of your life. Then you are a crossless Christian. And you become eventually. An enemy of the cross of Christ. Because, look where it leads you, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 of Christians like this. Verse 5, I'll begin in verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Times will be difficult for the Christian. Are you ready for that? They're here. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful. They're not only going to love themselves and love their money, they're going to brag about it. Christians will do this. I can have... I can be a multimillionaire and I can love my I can love my wealth. What's wrong with it? I can love it. I can enjoy it. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. But I'm my own god of my stuff. Jesus doesn't tell me what to do with my stuff. He loves me. He forgives my sin every day. But you don't experience the loss of all things for him, do you? Have you? Have you counted the loss of all the gain of your own earthly gains as a loss? Have you suffered the loss for his kingdom? And then looked at all that loss and said, rubbish, not even fit to talk about it. Because of this value, I did it all so that I could know him better. To grow in him and his power. No, men will be boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful and un holy, unconsecrated. Are there areas in your life that are unconsecrated? They're not His. You haven't released them. Mine. It's okay, Lord, you have this one. But this, it's mine. Unloving, irreconcilable, 
malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness. Wait, I look like a Christian. I go to church. I have a Bible. I have a godly home. I don't divorce my wife. I love my kids. I provide well for them. I have the structure of a godly man or a godly woman. I don't go out there and do harm to others or get drunk or do drugs or no, I have a godly structured life. But you're one of these. Unless you have walked the journey of taking up your cross, following Him. You will have a form of godliness, although they denied its power. Avoid men like this. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of Jesus, of this truth. Paul warns us of those in my own life. And in your life, he warns us. I want to share with you how the Lord is transforming my life in a little bit this past month. These are the books I'm reading. Purpose in Prayer. Have you ever heard of E.M. Bounds? How many have heard of him? You should read about him. E.M. Bounds was born in August 15, 1835. And he died in 1913, August 24th. He was born in Washington, Georgia. And at 24, he felt called to preach the gospel. While serving as a pastor of a small church, war broke out in the United States. Civil war. He would not take the oath of either form of government. Therefore, he was imprisoned for his faith. And he suffered much at the hands of the federal government. Because he believed he was called to love God and love man. And preach the gospel. And not kill his fellow man. You should read Purpose in Prayer. Change your life. How he met God in those days, 24 years old, at a time when most Christians were saying, take up arms. It's for a good cause, the cause of our nation. It's changing my life. Reading The Secrets to Spiritual Power by Watchman Nee. How many of you know of him? This young man was a Chinese man who had a young, in his early 20s, began to preach the gospel in the colleges, universities. And when war broke out, World War II, and came to China, the Japanese came into China and ruthlessly were killing people. And many, most of the missionaries 
fled China, the Lord put the mantle of the gospel on his life. He says this in this book. A crucified Christian, a man who preaches the cross, must bear the marks of the cross on his life. Do you bear those marks? been reading this book, Mere Discipleship, by Lee Camp. Talking about discipleship, and in it he quotes Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was? He was a young man also in the days of World War II in Germany. A German Lutheran. Who when Nazis took over Germany, one of the things Hitler strove to do was to take over the church because he, in his intellect, said, the church controls the people. I must take over the gospel, what is preached in the churches. And so there came a time when Hitler's henchmen came into the churches and gathered all the pastors of Germany together in a big meeting and said they must all swear allegiance to Hitler. And every one of those pastors signed the document except three. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the men who got up and walked out. And they made sure to kill him just a few weeks before the Americans came to the prison he was in to release him. He said this, a undiscipled Christian is a Christian without the cross of Christ. And if the cross of Christ is not on your life, if you haven't suffered anything as a loss for Christ. You're not a Christian. We live in a generation of uncrucified Christians. They did too. Every generation has. Many believed in Him. The first believers. Read John chapter 8. The first believers in Jesus. Turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. You should read this. It's really powerful. It's very sobering. Verse 31. Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. They said... We're Abraham's offspring. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I don't have time to read the whole discourse. But you can, I'll tell you the end of the story of that little discourse. To those who believed in Jesus, they took up stones and began to throw stones at Jesus. You do too, with thoughts. If you're unwilling to take up your cross and follow Jesus sincerely and lay down your will, your flesh, 
being crucified in exchange for knowing Him. Letting the cross put to death the appetites of your own flesh. You will become an enemy of the cross of Christ and you will stone His truth. The Holy Spirit will come to you and speak a word to you in the night. Get up and pray. You will not get up and pray. You'll toss and toss and say, ah, oh, maybe another time, maybe another time. You'll quench the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life over and over and over again. They knew their God. You ever heard of this series? There are four books in this series, and there are many names, which I had never heard of. This their Christian couple went through Christian history, the history of the church, and they found many, many people who are not well-renowned or many books are not written about them, and they wrote their story, and every chapter is a story of a different person. They took up the cross, followed him. The underground church, China, the history of the underground church of China. And our dear brothers and sisters are living this way there. Do you know that if today, if you publicly confess your faith at your workplace, you will be demoted immediately. You say, I'm a Christian. You may not get a pink slip right away, but you'll start facing demotions. You continue. To not obey them and say, stop talking. You'll continue to suffer loss. Just for confessing Jesus Christ. But there are hundreds of thousands of believers in China today. That you and I hear nothing about. Who are not only suffering the loss of their job. Eventually, they're put into prison. Their children are kicked out of school. And they suffer hiddenly, secretly. They're suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. But do you know something? Don't pity them. That's what they're saying. You know what they're saying about us? Those of us who do not take up our cross and follow Jesus daily in the Western world, in America, and think, we... What loss shall I suffer to follow Jesus? I live in a free land. Well, you are duped. You think the enemy, the devil, is not persecuting your soul today just because you live in a country that allows religious freedom? You think he's okay with all that? No, he's not. Satan is persecuting every child of God. All his seed are under the wrath of the devil. He is angry at one thing, the cross of Christ in my life and in your life. And if he can eliminate that, he'll walk away and say, don't have to fight with that person too much. They give me a lot of rest. They don't take up their cross. I control most of the areas of their life. No threat. Persecution comes from the devil. And all who desire to live godly shall suffer persecution. 
Our problem in the Western world is we don't recognize it. We're duped. We don't even believe we live in a warfare. We believe they do, but we don't. And so we actually become the enemies of Christ by trying to rescue them from persecution because we don't believe the words of Jesus. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. We believe it's a curse. So we try to avoid it at any cost. We don't receive it and willingly take it up to follow Jesus. Because somehow the devil has duped we Western Christians, many of us, in thinking, I can serve Jesus and never suffer loss for anything. He's going to bless me with everything my flesh desires and much more. And there's no cross, no loss for his gain in my life. So the marks of the Christian are not upon me. The marks of the cross are not in my life. And guess what I do? When uncrucified areas in my life remain uncrucified, I crucify those who do take up the cross. I become just like Paul, persecuting the life of Jesus in other believers. I may not actually physically do it, but oh, my tongue is a good weapon. And I slay them behind their backs readily and I think rightfully because my tongue is not crucified, has not taken up the cross of Christ. When faith is forbidden, have you heard of the voice of the martyrs? Every chapter is a little story, some about young people, children, who readily give their life for Jesus Christ. I was, re I was talking with a brother, Brother David Witt. Some of you may remember him. He spoke to some of us a number of years back. I've actually asked him to come and share with us again for a weekend. And I'm not sure what it's going to look like in his schedule. He worked for Voice of the Martyrs, was a front line worker, as they call him, for many, many years, traveled to many different countries, in different places, connecting with the underground church, the persecuted Christians, trying to support them and bless them and encourage them. And he still does it today. Today, he and another brother, they wrote this book, Fearless Love. I can't pronounce his, his partner's, uh, his, this brother that he's partnered with, his name here. He was a, he's a converted Muslim. And they wrote this book together and they labored together in the gospel, mostly toward the Muslims, sharing the gospel with them, willingly giving their life for Jesus Christ. The whole goal of their life is called the spirit of martyrdom. By the way, do you know what Jesus said when Jesus said, go ye therefore and preach the gospel to all men? And then he said, and you will be witnesses for my sake. That word is martyrdom. You will be martyrs. And one of the things that I love that Brother David speaks of so freely with this other brother and as they, as they have connections with many, many Christians around the world who are suffering loss, because they counted it loss. 
They say this. To be a martyr of Jesus Christ is an everyday experience. I must lay down my will, take up his will, follow Jesus. That's being a living martyr. And their testimony is this. You will never be a dead martyr until you are first a living martyr. Are you a living martyr for Jesus Christ? Are you a crossless Christian? If you are, you'll go with the masses of the world. People around you will guide your life. You'll be swept up with this and that and every theory in the world. You will be controlled by two things. The appetites of your own flesh and the will of other people will control you. What other people say and do you will be easily impressed and follow them and be taken up with charismatic people. Instead of with Jesus Christ. Have you ever read this one? The Martyr of the Catacombs. Back in the Roman days, persecution broke out under Nero, Caesar Nero. Very fierce persecution. And there is this place, it still is there. Someday I would love to go there. Under Rome, called the catacombs. There are a whole web of tunnels dug there by workers, slaves, that the Roman Empire hired to mine out minerals in the earth. To build all of their Fancy buildings and concrete structures and roads and the Romans did it well. They had a mix of concrete that we still haven't fully discovered. Did you know that? Their statues, their pillars are still standing after 2,000 years. But this left a whole myriad of tunnels underneath Rome. And as persecution began to really be severe and... Nero blamed the Christians for almost everything that was wrong with the empire. They fled to these tunnels. This is a story of a Roman soldier who was commissioned by Nero to go hunt them down. And he was led by a little 10-year-old boy whom he captured into the catacombs. And there he met Jesus. And the persecutor became the persecuted and he made that exchange this is his story you should read it this has been my diet in the last month and it's changing my life dear brothers and sisters I don't know what you're reading or what you're looking at but you are what you look at you become what you look at. You behold the love of God. Behold His kingdom. And what you see will change your life just like it did everyone else who's seen Him. Once they see Him, they're changed to be like Him. But if your view is here, and what you see is other people in your life, and what you see is yourself, or what you see is your workplace or what you see is all these other things in your life then you will live a life that 
will be self-preserved. The goal of your life will be money, reputation, education, friends, a good crowd, a good name, all those things, everything earthly will be the goal of your life. But if you see him, you can become like him. Father, I pray that you would encourage us today with the power of your written living word and transform us, Lord. Transform us so that, Lord, we don't think it's strange when you meet us along the way and you offer us a cross. And you say, take up your cross daily, follow me. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray. Lead us into this experience with you, each one of us, and transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. sharing the word with us this morning. Phil, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, biblical precedent, if you will, for uh, looking at the, the lives of others and the witness of faith that others have that was were illustrated in that stack of books that, that Phil talked about. Hebrews 12 talks about being surrounded by a greater cloud of witnesses. There, there are a lot of uh, Christians, a lot of people that have, that have lived that are witness of what God has done, what he can do, what he wants to do. And uh, it's good to draw from that, not in uh, not in in place of drawing from scripture or from Jesus Himself, but as a witness of what God has done and what He wants to do in our lives, and it's a blessing to hear uh, just those brief stories of all these people that have that are bearing witness of what Jesus has done over the years and what he wants to do. Thank you for sharing the word with us, Phil, and uh, I think that concludes this part of the service. So if you're able to, please stand and we'll have a closing prayer and we'll uh, have the noon meal here shortly. Father, I thank you for this time together this morning for the opportunity to come together to praise you and worship you and to hear from you. And I thank you that all of that has been done here this morning. And I pray that it's all, all of those things would continue in, in our lives throughout this week. I pray that you would bless our fellowship here and bless 
the food that you have provided. I thank you for it. And we just pray your blessing on our time of fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.